if lightning strikes Or if thunder splits the sky If the mountains fall Welcome to the Wild Under Root Podcast. I am your host, Lisa Fazio, and this is episode four. And it is what can kind of be considered a shape-shifting episode. We're changing a little bit here. When myself and my friend Pete Bianco started this, he was my co-host. We started back in January 2020, and we had no idea what was about to transpire in the world. We were able to get in just a couple of episodes when the COVID-19 pandemic hit the world. And as of right now, which is May 2020, we're still in the midst of it. So many things have changed for both myself and Pete. And because of that, we have agreed, decided that I will become the sole host of this podcast, at least for the time being. The focus of the podcast will continue to remain the same. We'll still be discussing and having interviews with guests about plants and plant medicine, living in place, bioregionalism, magic, folk traditions, and anything related to any of those topics. So today in episode four, I just want to talk about a couple things related to our current events and some of the process that I've been in and things that I've been learning as I know we've all been in this process uh, that comes in many different forms with many feelings and sometimes all of these feelings in one day. So Pete and myself as well as others in my community have had to make some changes around the ways we relate to each other as well as how we engage in collective projects and We've been doing this through uh, consensus decision-making. And even before this, uh, when we have had groups in my community or even just interpersonal relations, it has always been an honor and privilege because I live in this amazing community where people are open to authentic communication and the process involved in consensus decision-making. Over the many years and many conflicts that, as you know, anyone who's in relationships knows that there's always conflicts. Um, I have been involved with conflicts that we have been able to resolve right in our community and, and grow from. And this is almost always, if not always, been informal and organic and probably imperfect <laughs> um, because we're... We weren't raised with this, most of us, so we make mistakes and we try our best. Often the decision-making or consensus process is just something that was facilitated by another impartial community member. So usually when there is a conflict or a disagreement, we try to work it out amongst ourselves, but if it seems like communication is breaking down, then we may call in somebody, often an elder who is willing and who has the time and experience to mediate or even just observe and witness the dialogue between parties that disagree and those of us who may be in need of coming to some type of agreement or resolution, Um, even if it's just damage control, which sometimes it is, and that's better than nothing. Um... 
So I just wanted to share a little bit about my understanding. I began my own relationship that is ongoing and my own learning of consensus, consensus decision-making as a child when my parents would hold family meetings. So this was in the like 1970s kind of hippie days when some of these ideas were really emerging in the culture. These meetings in my family didn't often result in what I would now think of as consensus decision making. Um, and of course, you know, in any family, we did our best, but my parents were still entangled in their own social conditioning. And it was a, we were a nuclear family, and all our interpersonal dynamics were involved with our own multi generational and personal traumas. And my parents did a really great job. Um, and I feel like even though maybe it wasn't ideal and the outcomes weren't ideal, I was fortunate that I was offered this possibility and that there, that there was a vision that somebody in my life, important, people important to me, my, my own parents, had a vision for this type of communication. I believe that even just trying to do our best for our children sets a seed of opportunity that lets them know that there is more to know and more to learn. So we're never going to be perfect parents. At least I don't know any perfect parents. But I feel like just our children seeing us going to the effort of growing and seeing us going to the effort of evolving and witnessing us trying to do our best is our best. It's the best that we can do. So for me, as I move forward in life, I studied psychology and I took group dynamics and nonviolent communication courses in college and worked with people in groups there. Um, in doing so, I discovered an entire world of opportunity and creative ways of being with others. It really opened my world. Of course, knowing and doing are not the same. So we can learn about all sorts of things, but actually implementing them in our lives. I also studied developmental psychology and I had children and as many of you have probably figured out as well, just because somebody wrote about it in a book doesn't mean it's actually going to work with your children or that you're going to know how to enact something that you learned in a psychology book. But even so, I feel like I discovered so much just knowing that these things were possible and practicing with the people that I was engaged with at that time. Um, this has been a lifelong journey and I'm almost 50 years old and I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface. Um, but because of this early foundation, I was drawn to like-minded others and have been fortunate in my community, as I said, to have like-minded others who also wanted, wanted to practice authentic and honest ways of being. And I have been involved with many failed attempts at building collectives and community projects and living alternative, alternatively, as well as many successes. So it is definitely a trial and error. The one common denominator for the successes has always been conflict resolution. 
And the one common denominator for failures has always been the lack of conflict resolution. I can honestly say that I have never been engaged in a conflict resolution process, even if it wasn't by the book, even if it didn't always use nonviolent communication or effective communication, even if it was just me and somebody else coming together to say what the heck is going on and really sharing with each other, the outcome has always been healing. Even if it took a long time, the outcome has always been healing. Um, So often now, I just will refuse to work on collective projects with two or more people unless there is a pre-agreed plan and commitment to conflict resolution. Um, And even with one person, even if I'm going into some type of collaboration with one person, it has to be a relationship where I know that we are both committed to authentic communication and open to check-ins and feedback, as well as both having a willingness to discuss and work through differences of opinion, disagreements. And of course, you you know, nobody can make you... um, make you do this and anybody can change their mind at any time but it's just stepping into a relationship knowing that that is a primary value the process of consensus decision making is one that is often misunderstood i have been in conversations with others a lot about how consensus consensus decision making requires that someone one of the parties has to compromise or basically agree to not have their needs met and In my understanding, as well as my experience, consensus is not compromise. Compromise can be involved in consensus decision-making, but they're two different things. So although the behaviors of compromise may come into the solution and the ultimate agreement, consensus is not the same. Consensus is something that arises in each person in the room or at the table or in the circle. As they engage in the process, of communication, as they talk through, as they share their different situated knowledge, the position that they're in, and as things are revealed in those conversations about what's going on for each person. Because often, often what almost always what we discover is a misunderstanding. So really, there was a bunch of assumptions going on because of a lack of communication. And once people can be like, oh, well, this is actually what I meant, or this is actually what was going on for me that you didn't know about, it's like light bulbs turn on. Consensus is like pulling the truth out of the ethers or the collective unconscious, and everyone involved becomes aware of it. And when I have when this has happened for me in in the process, it's amazing because it really in in it even when there's multiple people, it's almost like you'll see everybody coming to it at the same time. It feels very magical where where everybody will go, and even sometimes somebody who who what isn't present, who's calling in or or who's you're updating after. It's like it comes to them too, just because their energies were 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 they were there in spirit, so to speak. So I've really found it amazing. 
Um, I also want to just credit another place where I've learned about this was in classes taught by Mohawk elder Tom Porter at his community center in Fonda, New York. And it's called, and I'm going to say the name as best as I can in Mohawk, Gona Jahalege, which was anglicized uh, to be the town of Kanajahari. Uh, Gona, Gona Jahalege means clean clay pot. And that's because the way that the rock formations are in this particular area of the Mohawk Valley, um, there's a big, what looks like a pot that fills up with water on the location. And it's the location of one of the original Mohawk villages here in Haudenosaunee territory. And I'll leave a link to their website and the amazing work that's been done there. And so Mohawk elder Tom Porter offers classes on Haudenosaunee. Haudenosaunee is what the Iroquois call themselves. And he offers classes on Iroquois Haudenosaunee culture. And in one class that I was attending, he was sharing a bit about their decision-making process, which is part of the great law, a peace doctrine. And New York State was once an epicenter, what is now New York State, was once an epicenter for peace held by the Six Nations here. So I'm not an expert and don't pretend to be on Haudenosaunee culture culture, nor am I qualified to teach anything about it, but I'm just going to share that what I learned from Tom, and according to my understanding, is that when conflict resolution was needed, they would hold a circle or a council, and people would come to the table, either the council elders or the, the leaders, and if someone came in who was angry, they would stop the talks, and ask the person to leave and deal with their anger and then they would come back together again once the anger had been transmuted or resolved. So everybody came to the table without anger and they would talk until consensus was achieved. And this could take a long time, according to him, days sometimes. And, you know, he said, people always say, well, how could they have done that? How, who's got that kind of time? And this is not a direct quote, but what I remember him saying was, what could be more important? And according to their culture, what could be more important than, than, than this, than working together to find solutions and to evolve consensus? So I have a personal vision for the future, and even right now, where consensus and peace and conflict resolution once again become that important, I really think the world would be a different place if that happened. So here I'm going to tie in astrology, because this is also something really pertinent to this time and to our collective understanding, as well as, I believe, our co collective consensus about what is going on. And I am not pretending at all to know. Again, I think this is just part of what is going on is uncertainty. And we are being asked to be resilient and adapt. So I shared a little bit about astrology in a recent IGTV post, and I will see if I can make a link to that here as well.
Right now, we are in a unique period with the planetary transits. So the transits are the planets as they are moving right now in the sky. So the planets are moving and as they move and form relationships with each other and the earth, and as a matter of fact, each of our personal charts, um, they make angles. And so there's an effect. There's like a bond that's made, a reaction that occurs. And as this pandemic started, we were experiencing a Pluto-Saturn-Jupiter conjunction in Capricorn um, right around the beginning of January, I think. And then about March, I'm not sure of the exact dates, but I think about the beginning of March and going through March into April, Mars basically came into Capricorn and then because Mars moves faster than the other planets, it went past to them and hit, kind of triggered each of those planets as we were really falling into this descent of whatever is going on of this pandemic and all of the fear and all of the revelation and all of the dying and every the sickness and all of the changes that we're all undergoing. Um, so as that con those conjunctions happened, the World Health or Organization announced a global pandemic. Um, so I was just recently listening to the weekly Pele report by K. Pacha Lesher, which I will link to here. He does a weekly astrology report. He's one of my favorite astrologers. Um, he shared that this conjunction of Pluto and Jupiter, just the Pluto and Jupiter conjunction, happened the same in this they were in the same position together it during the two the 1918 flu pandemic, only instead of in Capricorn, they were in Cancer. So very interesting parallel. So cancer is more this kind of watery moon ruled by the moon sign where Capricorn is more rigid and dry. In fact, they're polar opposites. So cancer is wet and Capricorn is dry. So we're going to have a different expression of this conjunction, but a similar like underlying pattern. Pluto is the lord of the underworld and rules death. It rules mystery, um, the cycle of life, death, rebirth. So I just heard another quote recently, and I do not remember where who said it. It may have been Michael Mead, but um, and no. It was, I think it was Martine Prechtel, two of my favorite people, by the way, Michael Mead and Martine Prechtel. But either way, um, they said that life and death are not opposites. Birth and death are opposites, and life contains them both. So the cycle of death, birth, death, rebirth is a primary creation pattern. So there are different ways that we can see in universal law and even if we can go into physics, 
um, or we, you want to look at the spiritual world or even in mythology, we see different creation patterns. Another creation pa pattern is polarization. Um, and we see life, death, and rebirth as another form that, or another method that creation uses to work with the elements of the universe to basically make life. And Pluto is a conjunction, which means next to Jupiter, which Jupiter brings a lot of something. It brings abundance. And usually it's beneficial. Not always, though. Sometimes too much is too much. Um, so in, Jupiter's usually kind of light and um, sort of um, magical, and it brings luck usually. So that kind of seems contrasting with the heavy, dark, intense energy of Pluto. And it is contrasting. And again, we have so much uncertainty right now. And there's a lot of contrast and things converging and moving in and out. Jupiter lifts and elevates. It adds a layer of meaning that tells us what's happening right now on every level has the possibility of being evolutionary and even revolutionary. So Jupiter being just being there says well okay this is more than just a pandemic this is more than just pluto awful heavy you know down in the underworld it's like oh no there's something here that jupiter is bringing that is going to elevate and is going to spark change so we can learn and grow from this and find new ways of being, new ways that haven't happened yet. We can tend to think with Pluto there, especially in Capricorn, that this is just all too much and overwhelming and out of our control. And some of it is. There, in some ways, there aren't any options, but it's more that the options are coming from places or ideas and visions and possibilities that no one has ever tapped into before. So if we just focus on Pluto, it'd be like, oh, this is just how it is and this just really sucks and, you know, we're just going to try to not die. And, um, but, and, and, you know, that's fine and it may be part of the process, but also what we're being asked to do is look for things or be at least open to possibilities that no one has ever thought of before. So it's like electricity. No one knew about electricity until someone knew about it. And we don't know what's out there that we, and not just energy sources, anything, ways of being, solutions, ways of working with the things that are going on. We don't know what's out there that we haven't discovered yet. And it requires times like these where we're under pressure, where we're being pushed. It's like we are being motivated now more than we have been in at least 100 years to find new ways. So that's how ecological evolution occurs, through pressure. Pressures that move and push and break things down so that in order to survive, they have to reformulate or regenerate. So this isn't survival of the fittest, not really, where only the strong survive. And in fact, I resist that notion, especially now, I believe that our, we have to protect our most vulnerable, our elders, and our immune compromised, 
people and people with underlying conditions. So it's not that kind of survival. Um, it's, it's more ingenious. So it isn't only the strong survive, it's the most willing to collaborate and converge. It's the most willing to share information. It's the most willing to come to the table and say, look at everything here. Let's be really honest about what we have here. And you share my your position and I'll share mine. Here is where I think of the work of evolutionary biologist Lynn Margulis and her book, Symbiotic Planet, as well as her multiple other books. She passed in, I believe, 2011. And of course, I'll have a link in the notes to her books, to her and her book. She helped develop what is known as Gaia theory along with chemist James Lovelock. Uh, also, it's, called, it's been also called the theory of symbi symbiotic evolution, where she researched how bacteria and other single-celled organisms evolved by combining DNA and merging genetic information to create more complex organisms. So Darwin's theory of evolution wasn't necessarily wrong. Life does evolve because of ecological pressure. But this is just a different way of looking at how that pressure responded. How the organisms responded, sorry, how the organisms responded to the pressure. So it's also been called symbiogenesis. And what it does quite brilliantly is not overtake or kill off competing organisms. So it's kind of like, instead of that thinking of like, only the strong survive, so in order for me to live, you have to die. Um, but instead, that it, what happened is that different bacteria and other microorganisms, when they were either trying to get at the same resources, or there was some type of ecological event that forced them out of their habitat, that they would combine and they literally combined bodies based on Margulis's theories and work and so combined DNA and so formed new genetic bonds that made them together a, a new organism, a more complex form that was more adapted to survival based on the ecological conditions. So right now we have Pluto, which is all about the life-death-rebirth cycle, co combining and recombining, decomposing, deconstructing. Pluto decomposes, it deconstructs, it devolves, breaks things into their raw elements, and then reconfigures, like turns everything into compost. It transmutes everything. Pluto is an alchemist. It regenerates everything into new life. And the thing about Pluto is it doesn't give us a choice. It is bound to the laws of the universe and physics. We will change when it comes to Pluto. Pluto in our chart, in astrology, represents our fate. The difference between fate and destiny is that fate is what we cannot change. So it's like it's been fated. Um, like who our parents are, where we were born, our skin color, our height, things that just are. Our destiny is how we react, relate, and facilitate, facilitate the conditions of our fate. As is true with all astrology, astrology only tells you the conditions 
not how they'll be activated or not because that's always up to the person. It's always up to the people. That's where we choose and that's where the freedom, our freedom of choice is or is not expressed. So right now we're experiencing the constriction of our freedoms and that's where Saturn comes in. So remember, we've got a Pluto, Jupiter, Saturn conjunction. So Saturn was in there with Capricorn and Saturn, which has now moved into Aquarius. Saturn also rules Capricorn. So Capricorn and Saturn they have very similar characteristics. <clears throat> Saturn and Capricorn are all about constriction. They're about manifesting. They're about bringing things into the material world. So our movement, our options have become very limited here in the Western world and in, to some degree globally but in the Western world, where we aren't used to being limited, especially those of us with privilege, although in many places around the globe, as a result, way before this, as a result of the global industrial complex and colonization and the climate crisis um, here in the Americas, the ongoing oppression of the indigenous people, they have been in a pandemic. They have been in an apocalypse. It already happened for them and it's ongoing. So <clears throat> now it's really, the, the world is feeling that. And in that way, we are coming together. So Saturn moved recently into Aquarius. So it just switched from Capricorn into Aquarius. Aquarius is ruled by Uranus and disdains restriction and authority and oppression. Aquarius wants freedom. We are all feeling that, everyone. We are all in this together. And what better way for us to see this than a contagious virus that doesn't respect borders or boundaries, but can travel invisibly, infecting people all over the world. So it's like, now we've got Saturn holding us down. We can't move. We've got to stay home or we, we have to wear a mask or we risk getting sick or getting other people sick. And, and you've got Aquarius who's like, no, I don't want to be constrained. I don't want to be held down. Saturn also brings structure. It represent, represents the bones and cartilage of the body and the foundations of material objects. Saturn represents time and space and the requirements for manifestation from the gaseous elements into the more dense and heavy minerals and building materials of life. Saturn is often perceived as a terror or at best annoying. And when it moves into our lives, it, it makes any aspect to our own personal chart. It tends to expose our weaknesses, show us our limitations, Show us the places in our own foundations that need to be replaced or repointed or shored up. So Saturn kind of goes around and checks each link and says, hey, look, here, you've got this weak link. You've got this piece that's about to break off. You're not going to be able to do anything with this unless you fix this. Your, your dreams, your visions for the future or for the now, for your own embodiment are, are dependent on making sure that these things are in place and so you have to fix this you have to do something about it address it release it whatever and um, usually that 
is there because we've ignored it and we've ignored it for a reason. It's painful or uncomfortable or we just didn't know what else to do or we couldn't. We, we couldn't. We didn't have the safety or the privilege or, or whatever to, to, to deal with it. Um, so, so Saturn comes through and says, now it's time. Now it's time that you're ready to evolve. And this is happening on a collective level right now. Saturn goes around and looks underneath everything and tells us what has to be addressed before we can grow. So right now is the time. Nothing comes into the material world without limitations. Saturn tells us where to set the walls, right? So in order to build a room like the room I'm sitting in right now so that I can be talking to you and not being rained on outside, has walls and it limited the space that I was in. So we see Saturn as kind of this evil sometimes. There's a good book about this by Liz Green. I'll, I'll also put a note. And the book is called Saturn, A New Look at an Old Devil. And she talks about the blessings that Saturn brings us if we can stay with it um, and if we can have the patience. Saturn has moved into Aquarius We'll go retrograde again in July, so go back into Capricorn and where we can expect to be going back over this again. So when a planet goes retrograde, kind of like sweeps back and it's like, oh, okay, did you get that? <laughs> um, because here's your chance now, you know, you got another chance to get this before you move forward again. In Aquarius, Saturn, structure, transformation, and change created by fixing foundations of things and revealing what isn't working will be in conjunction with that Aquarian freedom and evolution. Aquarius is ruled by Uranus. It's an air sign. It's fixed air, so it's like lightning, boom, right? It's not like Libra, which is cardinal air, just like moving forward, moving forward. No, Aquarius is like boom, lightning. It's like electricity. It needs a conduit um, and it sparks. It's changeable. It's unexpected. Hits and runs. Everything is different when, when Aquarius comes in. Um, so Saturn here will ba- bring structure, organization, and an, an opportunity to recreate the world with these Aquarian ideas, these innovations, inv- inventions, things that are changing quickly. Saturn will give us a structure if we choose to use it that way and it will be step by step so it'll be a process capricorn is which is ruled by saturn is symbolized by the mountain goat and the mountain goat goes sure-footedly step by step up the mountain it doesn't miss a step so everything will be solid underneath it if we're patient it's not going to be over quick and we'll, we will have to be methodical, but we'll get there. Depending on how we do this, it can feel like a tug of war, which we're seeing with many people feeling like the restrictions are too much, especially here in the United States, that the change is too extreme and unnecessary. We have rules and state orders and lockdowns and such coming up against our feelings about freedom and our resistance to changing the way of life that we've always known. Also fears about the future, supply chains, totalitarian rule, all of the unknown things, unanswered things, all of the theories, 
things about this virus that we don't understand and things that we seem to have no way of stopping except for extreme restrictions. So Aquarius here tells us to look for innovations, look for inventions, look for scientific discoveries, and they'll be revolutionary. Saturn tells us to look at our foundations, find reliable solutions, and bring attention to where we can change things to make sure a better world happens with more resilience, with our people being more response-able. Saturn is about response-ability, so being able to respond, having the capacity to respond to a changing world. Because that's not going to change. The world changing is not going to change. We are in the age of Aquarius. And the world is going to be changing and swiftly and often in unpredictable ways. And the way to, to, to become resilient and to adapt is about building strong foundations. And Aquarius will show us new ways of doing that. So that's episode four, everybody. Thank you for listening and for joining me. I look forward to sharing some of the upcoming guests that I've lined up for you. And I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you to Old Lang Syne, our musicians. And I'll have a link to their band camp page in the show notes. Go there and support them. And... For more about us, you can go to therootcircle.com. There'll be a link to that as well. We'll be back soon. Until then, may you be well and stay safe. When I was a baby, I fell out of a lady. Thrown right on the pavement, loves a raw for my dues, broken all the rules, the cold to my lips, I shot right from the hip, this beauty that is fleeting, this morning and raw wailing, it's a fixed and low ceiling, this world is double dealing, like Buddha's in a cave, my temple has been raised, gotta pull back the scale, I lurk behind the veil, I got pain from For this forbidden game All you wanted was the money You wanted it all, honey The sweetness in the dark To blow you from the heart All the glitters is gold You just do what you're told And I'm Back for time to see what's reaped and what's shown I wanted to be a goalie Sit apart and holy I got a mass protection And a foolproof direction I was a shopping upon A swine and a pearl Now this pearl's on the lawn I'm no longer for sale I weave my pearls for a song And I got pain for